Warning, Lawless is a podcast exploring crimes that can be explicit in nature. Listener discretion is advised. I hope you burn in hell for what you did to my kids, woman. What kind of person am I going to be throughout the rest of my life because of this? That's what I want to know. Hello, and welcome back to all of our true crime fans. This is episode two of Lawless, and we are so happy to have you with us on this journey. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Alicia. We are both excited because we have one hell of an episode in store for you today. In the realm of curvaceous criminals, she is definitely a heavy hitter. Our lady in the limelight tonight is none other than Teresa Knorr. Before we begin this episode, we should start with a few specific trigger warnings. We will always let you know before the story begins if there is anything that may cause an extremely emotional response. Today's episode contains reference to alcohol abuse and child abuse. Nor was born in Sacramento, California on March 12, 1946. She was the younger of two daughters, born to Swanee Gay and James, or Jim, Cross. Swanee Cross had a son and a daughter from a previous marriage, and Jim Cross worked as an assistant cheesemaker at a local dairy. He eventually saved up enough money to buy a house in Rio Linda, California. In the late 1950s, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, which forced him to quit his job. He developed depression and allegedly took out his frustrations on his family, and Swanee Cross kept the family afloat financially. Teresa, who was very close to her mother, was devastated when she died of congestive heart failure in March of 1961. After the death of her mother, her father had to sell the family home as he was unable to keep up with the costs. At the tender age of 16, she married Clifford Clyde Sanders, with whom she had a son, Howard. She shot Clifford dead while she was pregnant with their second child, and Teresa was found not guilty under reasons of self-defense. During the trial, she claimed that she had shot Sanders because he was a violent alcoholic who physically abused her. However, several of Sanders' relatives testified that Sanders was not violent or abusive, while the prosecution claimed that Teresa killed Sanders maliciously and without provocation. Teresa's older sister also testified, stating that Teresa was possessive and jealous and would, quote, would kill him before any other woman could have him, end quote. Shockingly, she was acquitted of Sanders' murders on September 22, 1964. Teresa gave birth to her second child, Sheila Gay Sanders, on March 16, 1965. After the birth of Sheila, Teresa began to drink heavily, her favorite haunt being the local American Legion Hall. This is where she met Estelle Lee Thornsbury, a disabled United States Army veteran. The two began a relationship and eventually moved in together. While they were together, Teresa would routinely leave her children with Thornsbury while she went out drinking. And this escalated to a point where Teresa would stay out for days at a time and resulted in the ending of the relationship a few months later after he discovered that she was having an affair with his best friend. Shortly after the relationship with Thornsbury ended, Teresa met and began dating a United States Marine private named Robert Knorr. 
She soon became pregnant and the couple married on July 9th, 1966, when she was seven months pregnant with her child. Her third child, Susan, was born September 27th, 1966. Her fourth, William, was born a year later. Her fifth child was born in 1968 and named after Robert, and the final Knorr child, Teresa Terry Marie Knorr, was born August 5th, 1970. The marriage began to break down after Teresa began accusing Robert of having multiple affairs. The couple was known to be volatile and would beat each other and their children. Robert left home in December 1970 and was granted a divorce in 1971. After the divorce, he did attempt to see his children, but Teresa would not allow any contact. Teresa would then go on to marry two more times, both of which were very short-lived. In 1971, she married railroad worker Ronald Pulliman, which ended in 1972 due to Teresa continually leaving her children with Pulliman while she was stayed out all night drinking and partying. The last straw came when he became convinced that she was having an extramarital affair. Her final marriage was to Sacramento Union copy editor Chester Chet Harris, whom she married in August 1976. This marriage deteriorated after Susan, her oldest daughter, grew close to Harris, which made Teresa jealous. She filed for divorce from Harris in November of 1976, after she reportedly found out that Harris enjoyed taking consensual nude photographs of women. All of Nora's children were subject to her physical, verbal, and psychological abuse. However, Nora had a raging hostility for her daughters, Susan and Sheila. Her hatred stemmed from jealousy that her daughters were growing up into burgeoning women while she was facing the inevitability of growing old and losing her looks. Throughout their young lives, Nora abused and tortured her children in various ways, including burning them with cigarettes and beating them. While the boys were subject to Teresa's abuse, they were also trained to beat, discipline, and restrain their sisters. Teresa had forced Susan to eat while handcuffed underneath the kitchen table, even causing her to chip her teeth. If she threw up at all, Teresa would make Susan eat her vomit, and she would also throw steak knives and scissors at the girls. The children were not allowed to attend school after the eighth grade, and at one point, Susan ran away. When she was picked up by the authorities, she told them about the horrors of the living situation that they were returning her to. A wellness check was completed, but Teresa was in the room during the interviews, so nothing came of it as the children were too scared of their mother to speak the truth about her abuse in her presence. In 1982, Teresa became convinced that Susan was a witch who was casting spells on her to cause her to gain weight. Because of this, Teresa shot Susan in the chest with a 22 caliber pistol after an argument one night. The bullet became lodged in Susan's back, but Teresa would not call for medical help. Teresa then left her oldest daughter to die in the bathtub. However, Susan miraculously survived, and then Teresa handcuffed her to a soap dish in the bathtub and began to nurse her back to health. Susan eventually recovered from her wound and in 1984 decided to tell her mother she would like to move out to Alaska. 
Nora agreed under the condition that Susan would let her remove the bullet from her back. Using Melorel, capsules, and liquor as anesthetic, Teresa made Robert remove the bullet with a box cutter while Susan laid on the kitchen floor. Infection soon set in and Susan's skin turned a yellow from jaundice and she became delirious with the pain. The other children were required to walk over Susan as she lay dying on the floor. As Terry told Cold Case Files, Teresa told her other children that Susan's illness was a result of possession by Satan and that the only way to purge the demon was with fire. On July 16, 1984, Teresa threw all of Susan's belongings into trash bags and then bound her arms and legs and placed duct tape over her mouth. She then ordered her sons, Robert and William, to load Susan into their car, and they drove her to Sierra, Nevada. There, on the side of the road, on Interstate 80, outside of Truckee, laid her down, poured gasoline on her, and burned her alive. Susan's still smoldering body was found the next day. Authorities performed an autopsy, which confirmed that she was still alive when she was set on fire. Due to the condition of her remains, a positive identification was impossible, and Susan was classified as Jane Doe number 4873 84. In 1985, Sheila also died at the hands of her mother. According to Terry, Teresa forced Sheila into prostitution and then later accused her of transmitting an STD to her from the family toilet seat. Sheila initially denied the allegations. She was beaten, hogtied, and locked into a hot closet with no ventilation. Nor forbade her other kids to give Sheila food or water or to even open the closet door. Terry did choose to ignore this and gave Sheila a beer. Terry later said she wanted Sheila to confess. This was the mother's way, beat them until they confess. To end the punishment, Sheila confessed to having an STD and being pregnant. And after her confession, Teresa still would not let her out of the closet, claiming that Sheila was lying. Sheila did die three days later on June 21st, 1985 of dehydration and starvation. Sheila's body was left decomposing in the closet for three days before the family discovered that she was dead. For the second time, Nora ordered her sons, William and Robert, to dispose of their sister's body, which had now had a horrendous smell that filled the apartment. Sheila's body was placed in a cardboard box and ditched near the airport in Truckee, California. Sheila's body was discovered a few hours later after it had been disposed of, but never positively identified and was classified as Jane Doe number 6607-85. Even though Sheila's body had been disposed of by Robert and William, the smell of decomposition still permeated the apartment. Teresa became paranoid that she would be implicated in Sheila's death due to the smell and physical evidence in the closet. So on September 29, 1986, Teresa moved the family's belongings out of the home. She then ordered her youngest daughter, Terry, to burn down the apartment as a countermeasure and destroy any physical evidence that may remain. That night, Terry poured three containers of lighter fluid on the apartment floor and set it on fire. This was an overall failure, 
as neighbors quickly reported the fire before it spread and the closet in which Sheila died was not damaged. After leaving the Sacramento apartment, the 16-year-old Terry escaped her mother's clutches by using Sheila's identification card to pass herself off as a legal adult. Teresa went into hiding in Las Vegas with the only child to remain with her, 19-year-old Robert Jr. In November of 1991, Robert Knorr Jr. was arrested after he fatally shot a bartender in a Las Vegas bar during an attempted robbery. He was sentenced to 16 years in prison, and shortly after Roger Jr.'s arrest, Teresa left Las Vegas and relocated to Salt Lake City. Teresa lived in relative comfort as a caretaker for an 86-year-old woman. Terry, on the other hand, tried to tell authorities in Utah twice in the 1980s about what happened to her sisters, but nothing came of it as it was suspected to be a story that she had made up to get attention. Then, in October of 1993, Terry contacted America's Most Wanted after seeing an episode which included her sisters, who then directed her to the Placer County Police Department. Teresa was finally arrested on November 10th in Salt Lake City, where she had been working as a home health aide for an 86-year-old woman. According to the woman's son, Teresa did an absolute super job. On November 15, 1993, Teresa was charged with two counts of murder, two counts of conspiracy to commit murder, and two special circumstances charges, multiple murder and murder by torture. After Noor's arrest, investigators were able to remove the subfloor from the closet at the house in Sacramento to test it for physical evidence. Teresa pled not guilty at first, However, when she learned that one of her sons decided to testify against her, she pled guilty to all charges to avoid capital punishment. On October 17, 1995, Nora was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. She is currently incarcerated at California Institute for Women in Chino, California. Teresa was denied parole in 2019 and will be eligible for parole in 2027. Well, that is a lot to unpack. So maybe we should move into some discussion and maybe talk some things through. Yeah, I absolutely agree. A couple fun facts to get us started. This story actually has a movie loosely based off um, Teresa Noor's life and what she did to her children called The Afflicted. Yeah, also, you know, she had bipolar disorder and substance-induced psychological disorder as well, which could make a lot of understanding to why she was the way she was. Right. Especially since you know, she, with her alcoholism and mental health abuse, you know, this is there from the beginning. Probably, you know, how she got away with shooting her first husband. That just blows my mind that with all of those people coming out against her and saying that it was her fault, not his, he would never do something like that she was a hothead, but she still got away with it. And the fact that there was so much testimony that she was the one who was kind of cuckoo bananas and that, you know, he would never ever do that or act like that is, is crazy to me as well, that that could be 
she could get away with that and do that, you know? It just goes to show how important mental health is and getting the help you need. And if you know someone needing help like that, definitely speak up because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some other things to go over too. Following Noor's arrest, um, the police actually decided to reopen a murder case of her sister. So Teresa's sister was actually murdered, um, and her name was Rosemary Norris, and she was found strangled at the end of a dead-end road in Placer County in 1983 after she went grocery shopping in Sacramento, but police did later determine that Nora was not involved in her death. Definitely don't blame them for reopening that after they found out what she did. Right. When you're cuckoo bananas and you killed your kids, you know, your two daughters, I would look into it as well. (laughs) Yeah. Not really a stretch that you might have killed your sister. Right. Exactly. So then we kind of get to the star of our story here. The only reason this came to light was because of her daughter, Terry. You know, she was persistent in trying to get police's attention to this, whereas you know, her surviving brothers didn't really seem to care. They wanted to move on with their lives. The fact that Terry told Utah police two times before they finally believed her because they thought she was attention seeking. They, I mean, talk about putting your foot in your mouth. Exactly. Could you imagine like knowing what you know and seeing what you've seen and trying to, you know, tell people about it because obviously that's really important and just being brushed off because you're a kid. Like, just because you're young doesn't mean that the information that you provide to the police is incredible, because a lot of the times it could be very credible information. So exactly. And I watched a couple of her interviews um, because this story was also featured on other um, television shows as well. Both her and William had their own like cold case file episode where they talked about Teresa, their mother. And in Terry's, I can understand how the police wouldn't have believed her, honestly, because she's so wooden when telling the story. To her, it's just, this is what happened to her, but she can't have feelings about it. Otherwise, she wouldn't be able to have a life. Well, exactly. I mean, even in the son's interview as well, like, he he stated a lot that he, he doesn't have normal emotional processing like everyone, like you and I do. Because of the things that they went through, I totally understand them just having this blocker that prevents them from, you know, basically functioning like a normal human being. You watched your mother kill her siblings and then also helped, you know, dispose of their bodies. I would be emotionally scarred and traumatized for the rest of my life and have those emotional blockers as well. I get it. Oh, no doubt. I mean, Terry was so. It probably led to her death. She ended up dying in 2011 at the young age of 41 due to heart failure. And I'm not surprised by that at all. With Terry being the one to bring this all up, they actually found out that she was living in the same neighborhood as her mother, as Teresa. They, she worked at a grocery store down the road from where her mother lived, and they didn't even know it. That's just I I couldn't imagine knowing that you're living in that such close proximity and not having any idea and no contact. Yeah. If I would have found out that my abusive and murderous mother was living down the road for me, I'd be moving real fast. Get me the hell out of there, please. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, one thing I wanted to point out that I just cannot get over is Teresa Nor had ice, like pure ice blue eyes. Like not like your standard like ocean blue. Like these were glacier blue ice eyes. They're intense. And all of her kids have them. What a reminder. Every day waking up, looking in the mirror, and seeing your mother's eyes staring back at you when she tormented you your entire childhood. No. Hell no. Like, mm-mm. I mean, they're beautiful, but it's they're like Teresa will have a picture of her um in the episode notes so you guys can see what she looks like. But she she had a gaze and it was terrifying. But her eyes, it's it's just the eyes. It really is. She looks like she could look at you with a single glance. And it's not surprising that her kids were completely under her thumb. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get into some discussion um, to kind of just go over some things that we've been thinking about while we were doing the research and while we were telling the story. Um when we were when you and I, Annie, were watching our the documentaries about the case, one of the things that didn't line up and we didn't get an understanding about is who shot Susan. Because William claims it was Terry who shot her, yet Terry says it was her mother who shot her. So what do you think? What are your theories? And then we can discuss that. Well, my theory is that I think it was Terry who shot Susan, but I think it was coercion by Teresa. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think this is because if Teresa wanted Susan actually dead, she would have done it right. Oh, absolutely. She clearly hated her daughters. She would have killed her herself if she wanted it that way. Exactly. So instead, she tortured Terry by making her shoot her own sister. And then Teresa turned around and nursed Susan back to health just so she could you know, killer anyway. Mommy dearest, you know. In the purest sense of it. Yeah. I I definitely agree um that Terry shot her. In one of the documentaries that we watched, um, it basically she had Susan up against a wall and she said, you know, she gave the gun to Terry and said, if she moves at all, shoot her. And then Teresa took the boys into the kitchen to go make oatmeal like nothing was happening in the entryway just 50 feet not even 50 feet away you know and um i think in the documentary he like dropped his ball his he dropped a bowl of oatmeal Mm -hmm. and it startled terry and terry shot the gun so could that have been what actually happened that's per william or could it be you know that's the story that he fabricated in his mind because he's trying to block out everything that did happen I mean, we really won't ever know, but that's definitely something to think about. You know, Teresa's not going to tell us and Terry can't tell us, uh, but I definitely understand Terry lying about it. Yeah. You know, or blocking it out. How traumatic. Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of briefly touched on the police not believing Terry the two previous times. Do you want to go into more discussion about that or do you think we covered it enough while we were storytelling and going over the facts? think we covered it enough i mean i don't know what else we could say about it aside the fact that what yeah (laughs) you know but i guess you know you're a teenager at the time or younger how do you yeah and then same we kind of went over the the husband got away with that but she was a manipulative 
She was a manipulative, psycho-ass bitch. bitch. <laughs> so, I mean, there's not a lot to discuss there. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, it does surprise me that she did get away with it, considering there was so much testimony against Teresa, but. I mean, I know we're only to our second criminal here, but holy shit. Just reading that story, I've been researching it for a couple weeks. Yeah, it's been a couple weeks. And reading out loud, it's still like, jeez. This story will never fail to surprise me. And when people ask, like, oh, can you give me like a little sneak peek about somebody that you're researching? I immediately go to Teresa Norm, like, listen to this shit. Like, she's (laughs) truly evil. Like, she is not a good person. She is just truly a truly terrible person and she's definitely where she belongs yeah no parole never Mm-mm. never 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 nope don't let her out Mm-mm. i'm let her rot i'm glad she was denied her parole and i hope she gets denied parole again in six years so due to the trigger warnings in our episodes we did feel like it was very important to shout out a couple of things the national suicide prevention lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK or 8255. If you or someone you know is suicidal or in an emotional distress, contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Trained crisis workers are available to talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. If you or someone you love is facing mental or substance abuse disorders, there is a hotline you can reach out to. SAMHSA's National Helpline is 1-800-662-HELP. Again, that's 1-800-662-4357. This National Helpline is free, confidential, 24-7-365 treatment referral and information service, and they do it in both English and Spanish. So for any individuals or families you know um, facing that kind of crisis, Again, that number is 1-800-662-HELP. If you're interested in any of the television shows or articles that we referenced in this um, episode or um, where we pulled our research from, links will be below in the show notes. Don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at LawlessPC. Add us with any questions, guesses on who our next criminal will be or suggestions for future episodes and we may give you a shout out during the next episode i do want to make sure that we give a quick shout out to our very first patreon subscriber jill a yes she may be my mom but it still means the world that we have a patreon subscriber so thank you so much mama absolutely love you jill tune in next time as we delve into another curvaceous criminal This has been Lawless, and remember, crime has no gender, so why let men have all the fun?